The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 246. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart, team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panel I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor Christmas special, The Snowmen. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. I dreamed I was married to River Song. <laughs> we can talk about that in a second. <laughs> okay. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. I didn't have quite that great a dream, but how's it going? <laughs> Very well. Well, that might not be a great dream, depending on how you feel about River. So, folks, before we get into that, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash Secrets of Doctor Who. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. We're also on Instagram, where we're at StarQuest Network. And leave us comments wherever you find us on social media. We love to hear from you. Also, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network called Secrets of Movies and TV Shows, where we kind of discuss... Whatever movies and TV shows don't fall into our other categories, our, our show-specific uh, shows. And so uh, well, there's, there's some great stuff there. New movies, old movies, new TV shows, old TV shows. Just check it out. You can find it at sqpn.com slash secrets or wherever you find fine podcasts. All right, Jimmy, let's talk about this. Let's do some dream analysis. <laughs> <laughs> what was this dream about River Song? I don't remember very much about it. In fact, I didn't remember it at all until I was writing the first line of the recap for uh-huh. this um, this episode, The Snowmen, in which I mention Amy and Rory, and the, I mentioned the Doctor, Amy and Rory, and then I thought, oh, River, at, wait, last night I dreamed I was married to River. <laughs> and, and I don't remember much about it. I remember there was a staircase, like a big cinematic staircase. Uh-huh. You know, like you see in the movies mm-hmm. in some old-fashioned house or hotel or something. And uh, and I remember being at the top of the staircase with River and going up and down it with River. But that, uh, other than that, I don't particularly remember. But it was a pretty, it was very elegant as a staircase. I think this... I, no 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 blue box. So okay. maybe the maybe the chameleon circuit was fixed. I think this is further evidence that Jimmy is actually a ta- the a time lord who has had his memory erased, just like. Yeah. You know, Dr. Ruth oh. in, in the, the, the last season of The Doctor. We just need to find his chameleon arch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, either that or I'm just one of the husbands of River Song. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, one of the many. <laughs> All right. So, but with the, our main topic uh, after that, uh, and folks, write in and if you have any questions for Jimmy on, on his dream about River Song. But our main topic is discussing this 2012 Christmas special called The Snowmen. Uh, and Jimmy, could you could you give us that recap that you were writing? It's Victorian England, and the Doctor has come here to mope after losing Amy and Rory. That's where I thought of River. <laughs> the Paternoster gang is trying to get him re-engaged with saving people, but without much luck. Then he meets new companion Clara, but doesn't recognize her as Souffle Girl from Asylum of the Daleks. She's a governess for a family and gradually draws him into a mystery involving telepathic carnivorous snow that is threatening mankind. Since he was a boy, a man named Dr. Simeon has been telepathically linked with the snow and it's absorbed his darkest dreams. Now the snow is preparing to take human form and conquer the world, but it needs a replica of human DNA in ice crystal form. This will be provided by an ice replica of a cruel children's governess. But the ice governess fatally wounds Clara, who ends up dying, just like in Asylum of the Daleks. The doctor uses a memory worm to wipe Dr. Simeon's adult memories, but the snow he's linked to becomes the great intelligence and takes over his body. However, Clara's death causes the family to weep on Christmas Eve, which is so sad 
that it causes all the snow to melt, defeating the Great Intelligence, who the Doctor doesn't recognize, even though he encountered the Great Intelligence twice as the second Doctor. (laughs) Finally, the Doctor learns Clara's full name, Clara Oswin Oswald, and realizes that she is Souffle Girl from Asylum of the Daleks. This allows the episode to end on a happy note, as the Doctor is now fully engaged again for the moment with saving the world. And he goes off to search for Clara, realizing that if she died twice, she's likely still out there somewhere. And we cut to modern England, where we see a new version of Clara next to her own Victorian grave. The end. The end. For now. <laughs> and this is, a, this is another one of those Stephen Moffat fake-outs, just mm-hmm. like when they were prepping for Amy and Rory to leave, the doctor kept getting in the same emotional state all over again, mm-hmm. and then they'd see, seem to have progress. In the next episode, he'd be right back to where he was. Well, that's what's happened here. That's what happens here, because by the end of this episode, he seems reengaged, mm-hmm. but at the beginning of The Bells of St. John, he's totally disengaged again. Right. Right. Yeah, so, a few thoughts. One of the things is, well, I, I was thinking, like, why wouldn't he recognize Clara? And that's partly because well, he, he doesn't he actually did, see her in, correct. as Souffle Girl. There is a recording, but I think only Amy and Rory see the recording and of her. At some point, he, he mentions in this episode that the voice sounded familiar. Yes. That he recognized the voice, but he didn't obviously didn't see her. Yeah. At, at one point, Clara also irrelevantly asks in the TARDIS, where's the kitchen? I like to make souffles. And he perks up at the word souffles, but then they have to move on. <laughs> right. Uh, should point out that the voice of the great intelligence is uh, provided by the great uh, Sir Ian McKellen, uh, also known as Gandalf. Okay, yeah. Uh, also, Dr. Simeon, who creates the great intelligence. So this is actually an origin story for the great intelligence. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. how the great intelligence came to be, is played by Richard Grant. And yes. Richard Grant has also played the doctor. Mm-hmm. Before the 2005 relaunch, there was an attempted relaunch in animated form with an adventure called Scream of the Shalka. And so Richard Grant played the Doctor in Scream of the Shalka and is known as the Shalka Doctor. He is an oh. alternate ninth Doctor. Okay. Yeah. Which get, we are going to talk about sometime. Yeah. You can, <laughs> yeah. Get, you can get the video of it, but it was a, a really early Flash animation, and it looks yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. It also has uh uh Derek Jacoby in it as mm-hmm. the master. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Grant is awesome. He's been in a lot of things. If you you might have seen him recently in the Disney Plus series Loki, where he played mm-hmm. an alternate uh version of Loki. Yeah, I also recently saw him. I finally got around to watching the last Je- or Re- the Rise of Skywalker, the last of the Star mm-hmm. Wars movies. Yeah. For now. <laughs> And he played the bad admiral guy in it. Yes, he did. Yep. He did. So, By the way, there's also four prequels to uh, the Snowmen. Mm-hmm. Three of them are anime. Three of them are short video subjects. Mm-hmm. And that that I know they have them on Amazon Prime. They're probably on YouTube. Uh, you know, they're free. Mm-hmm. But uh, but then also there's a short story or, or, or a written book too. That's a, a prequel tie-in. Right. Right. Yeah, they 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 call them webisodes, but yeah, they were short promotional uh they mostly concern the Paternoster gang or some of them concern yeah. the Paternoster gang. Well, uh, they all do. Uh one yeah. of them which actually got mis misreleased as a as a prequel not to this, but to The Bells of St. John is mm-hmm. called 2 Days After Demons Run. Yep. And it's about how Strax joins the Paternoster gang. And then they have two others, the video ones, the webisodes. One is called The Great Detective, and which is about Vastra. And then the other is called Vastra Investigates. Hmm. So Paternoster Gang, I've looked it up. They apparently get their name because they're based out of Paternoster Row, which is yeah. a, a real place in London. And Paternoster Row, Paternoster is Latin for our father. It's mm-hmm. the street where rosaries were made in London. That's where all the rosary right. makers were. Because originally it wasn't saying Hail Marys in the rosary, it was saying Paternosters. Yes. Mm. Uh, I actually saw, recently saw I mean, something. I mean, it wasn't saying, yeah. yeah, it wasn't saying Hail Marys, it was saying Paternosters. Yes. I said that right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw something online where uh, they, the archaeologists have been working there and have discovered some of the uh, beads from, from those shops. Oh, that'd uh, be cool. They're, they're mm-hmm. really intricately designed. So I just, they said, oh, it was on Paternostro. I'm like, hey, <laughs> I know that name, Paternostro. <laughs> so that was really cool. By the way, these these uh, 
what these webisodes mm-hmm. are, you know, like three minutes long each, so they're pretty insubstantial. Mm-hmm. Most of them, and like one of them is just the doctor standing there being glum with the Paternoster gang pitching possible adventure ideas to him. Right. <laughs> However, I did like one line in Vastra Investigates where Ginny is talking about how mopey the doctor is, and Vastra says, Heartbreak is a pain to all of us. Pity the man with two. Mm. <laughs> Very good line. That's good. The, the yeah. two hearts. Um, one of the things that's interesting, the opening sequence in this one has the Walter as a boy, the the the, the man who mm-hmm. starts the whole thing. Uh, Dr. Simeon. Yeah. Dr. Simeon. And in which it's said about him, I don't know if it's his parents or governors or somebody, that he doesn't play with others, that it's not healthy. And I was thinking, hmm, it's kind of also true of the doctor without companions. You know, when mm-hmm. when the doctor's not, quote unquote, playing with others, it's not good for him. And they kind of keep playing out that theme. Throughout New Who, I don't know if that was, but if they did much with that in no. New Who, but in New Who, it's always said, you know, oh, it's bad when the Doctor is is without companions, when the Doctor is traveling by himself. We saw that with the Tenth Doctor, you know, with Time Lord Victorious, all that sort of stuff, and we kind of seeing it again here with lacking Amy and Rory. So I thought that was an interesting uh, allusion to that. Well, and, and talking yeah. with Old Who, it was very rare that the Doctor would even go more than like one episode without a companion, much less right. one serial. I mean, usually it would be a companion would leave, another one would come in, the next serial, or there would be overlap between yeah. them. Yeah, in terms, I can only think of three instances in all the run of Classic Who where the Doctor didn't have a companion. There were two stories in the Tom Baker era, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly, both of which, well, okay, the first one I, it, that I can think of is... Um, after Sarah Jane Smith leaves because the doctor has been called to Gallifrey mm-hmm. and he has an adventure on Gallifrey oh, right. by himself. Yep. Mm. And I think there's another one that's like that with the fourth doctor, but I could be mistaken. Yeah. And then at the very end of the eighth doctor's TV movie, he runs off without grace. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, true. and thus launches the, and he immediately gets into trouble because then we have, uh, then we have the time war. Yep. And, right. <laughs> You know, uh, we just watched The Sixth Doctor in the Trial of a Time Lord season where Perry departs. Does he pick up a companion in the very next serial? Immediately, yes. Okay. All right. In fact, we that. get our first River Song equivalent. He, he gets Mel, uh, Melanie Bush, who is a companion from the future he hasn't met yet. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So w- one of the things about this episode, the, this, the Snowmen, is... Uh, like Christmas specials are usually one-offs. You know, they're just kind of yeah. they're 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 separated by usually months from the rest of the seasons, or the, it's the end of the season, the beginning of a season. This one was unusual in that it sits smack dab in the middle of of season seven, and it so it has to act as a bridge because not only is it in the middle of the season, it's also in the middle of the companion departure, companion arrival, mm-hmm. and. And they did a lot of new things with it. It's, there's a new opening sequence. There's a new console room. So it really feels like something brand new happening with this this, this Christmas special. So it yeah. kind of ha- had to serve this purpose. And, and Christmas specials are just meant to be warm, feel-good Christmas TV viewing. And mm-hmm. this is the most depressing Christmas special ever. <laughs> it I it mean, kinda, really wow. Is. Well, I, I have a note at the 15-minute yeah. mark, it is kind of a downer. Mm-hmm. And because the doctor's just moping, he is unengaged with what's going on, and yes. this goes on for. I mean, it. We're not even. Cl- he, he doesn't even become engaged until like the thirty-five minute mark. Right, he's grumpy, and grumpy, he, grumpy, <laughs> and then he's engaged for like five or ten minutes, and then Clara dies fifteen minutes before the end. Right. Yeah. And I mean, she's fatally wounded 15 minutes before the end. So we now have all of her death to deal with. And we've got like two or three minutes of happy engagement at the end. And that's it. Wow. What a downer. This is I the, mean, it's not a terrible yeah. story. It's just unsuitable Christmas fare, as a BBC official might say. Yeah. Well, the, the this is actually the second Christmas special in which a, a brand new to the Doctor companion dies. Remember the one with mm-hmm. Kylie Minogue on the... Space Titanic, yep. where you know she dies at the end of it. I'm like, what is with the dying of the, the companion? You know, well, on a Christmas special, she she dies, but she also sort of like becomes a transcendent being that gets to travel the universe or something. Yeah, 
You yeah. felt like a. I mean, and and at the end of this one, we have a a, a new Clara, a re resurrected in some way Clara. So they both have sort of attempts to up ending, but it's still a death. I mean, it's still mm-hmm, like yeah. it's still it's kind of this weird like why why are you doing this for a Christmas special? Well, it, and it, I mean, it works if as a standalone special to have that bridge between you know Souffle Girl and the Dalek and modern day Clara. Yeah, you know, and that's what it that's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be that connection. You know, doctors saying, okay, there's something going on here. Uh, you know, in Bells of Saint John, I've met now three versions of this same person throughout time and space what's going on here right. but yeah as a christmas special though it's like well why did you choose a christmas special for that <laughs> well because it was an open slot and they'd yeah. already he'd already done the doctor meeting clara with amy and rory around mm-hmm. and so it would make sense as part of the transition companion arc to have him meet her without amy and rory right. around right and so for people who may not who may not be aware of what we're talking about, Clara was introduced as a companion as the impossible girl. The doctor mm-hmm. kept meeting her at different points in time and time and space and and he would meet a, a new version of her each time and then that version would help him but die. Mm-hmm. And so how can these all be the same person? How can what's going on here? Right. Is this a trick? Is this a, is, she, is she clones? Is she uh one of his enemies trying to get close to him, and he's going to explore all those options over over the course of the next number of episodes after she's introduced in her final form, uh, which is 21st century young woman from London, Clara, because they're all 21st century young women from London. <laughs> yeah. And except Amy, the one from Scotland. Yes. <laughs> But he's going to conclude, no, it's something much weirder. She's not a clone. She's not a robot. She's not an enemy trying to get close to him. She really was born in the 20th century. And we're ultimately going to find out that the reason that there are copies of her scattered across space and time is because the great intelligence that we meet in this episode Mm -hmm. corrupts the doctor's timeline all across it. And in order to repair it and save the Doctor and turn all of his defeats into victories again, Clara enters the Doctor's timeline and fragments so that she can help him at every moment Mm -hmm. in his adventures, whether he knows it or not. Right, right. Yeah, including other incarnations of the Doctor, the first Doctor and through the, well, through the 11th anyway. We don't see her go to the later incarnations or the Timeless Children. Oh, let's not deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a couple of interesting aspects of this one. And thank you for explaining the whole great intelligence thing. I'd forgotten about how it, it plays out through this season. Um, there's a. Yeah. Also, it plays yeah. out backwards in time. Mm-hmm. We've got some retro causality going on here because when the, the because the doctor has the memory worm in a box, in mm-hmm. like it looks like a lunchbox. But it it's is kind of box. Yeah. With a map of the London Underground from 1967 on it. Yeah. And he refers to that as seems like a strategic weakness for London. Well, guess what? That's the second of the Great Intelligence mm-hmm. Adventures in the Second Doctor time. The Great Intelligence shows up and has the Yetis infest yep. the uh, oh, okay. infest the London Underground. And that's right, where we right. meet Colonel Lethbridge Stewart. Yes, before he's the Brigadier. Oh, cool. We haven't seen we haven't talked about that one yet. We did talk yeah. about the first chronological yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeti story where where we, we meet the great intelligence and so we, we talked about that not too long ago so i almost said amy clara you know the great here dr simeon has those cards business cards yeah. with gi on them for great mm-hmm. intelligence but uh-huh. it, great intelligence is not spelled out big and it just looks like gastrointestinal <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well we're the gi society i'm sorry yeah. for you <laughs> So we meet Clara. She's working as a barmaid in a pub, but she's living a double life also as a governess. And I'm not sure why. <laughs> like, yeah. did we ever get an explanation for why she was working in a as a barmaid? Well, diegetically, she says she was filling out, filling in for another barmaid, uh, but it was just temporary. And now she has to go back to her other job, uh. which she's been very secretive about to the mm-hmm. bar people. And it turns out she's a governess and she switches accents between yep. Cockney and upper class. Uh-huh. But yeah, I don't know. Was this because governesses don't bake souffles or something? Is that why this <laughs> was here? But yeah, and she's got the posh accent versus the 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 uh, the the uh, lower class accent that she switches between 
The only thing I could figure out is, you know, maybe she's lower class, but she somehow is able to trick her way into becoming upper class. But they really don't explain yeah. it. You well, know? they yeah. they they do indicate that lower class is her native personality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because when the ice governess shows up and is menacing her and the children, I mean, she demonstrates it's like, show us your secret voice. And yep. she does the Cockney voice for the children. And then when the when the evil ice governess shows up and is menacing them, she reverts to her Cockney accent. And one of the kids points it out. It's yeah. like, hey, yeah. you're using your secret voice. It's like, oh, you noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that would suggest that her Cockney accent is her right. native one and the posh yeah. accent is the put on. So the pub she works at is called the Rose and Crown. Is mm-hmm. that like as in Rose from... The Ninth Doctor era? Or Rosicrucians. It's a secret message. There's a conspiracy <laughs> here. You know, the only other Rosencrown pub that I've ever seen is in actually in Disney World, in Epcot, in mm. the in the, the uh, UK uh, uh, part of the world, uh, the what are they called? The World Showcase. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe this, uh, it's maybe someone can tell, let us know if, there's a, if Rosencrown is a famous thing. I just noticed that. Um, Dr. Simeon does get to say, uh, winter is coming, which was, that's a, this is about the same time as Game of Thrones. And I never, I didn't, I was going to look up, I forgot to look up whether Game of Thrones had already come out and we already had that line from Game of Thrones. Cause this, cause Game of Thrones started, I think in 2012. So I don't know if this was a pop culture reference or not, but, uh, uh, maybe, maybe someone can look it up and and find that out. They, they, and we certainly have one other big made a textual thing happening in this episode where, because Stephen Moffat at the time this was on was not only producing Doctor Who, he was producing Sherlock. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have doc, we have the doctor dressed up as Sherlock Holmes for, a, for a scene. That's right. And, and there is a bunch of mate, there's a, there's some play on the dialogue level where, Dr. Simeon, you know, turns to the doctor and says, I know that Sherlock Holmes is a fictional character. Yeah. And and then if you you if you I forget if it's in this episode or if it's in um one of the prequels, but I guess it's it must be in this episode. Yeah. Dr. Simeon also tells Madame Vastra that yes. Conan Doyle is certainly basing his his Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes stories on her. And so we've got a bunch of kind of playing with metafiction here That's about in, in, in roping Sherlock in. And at the time, there was actually there were actually people who were arguing for a Sherlock Doctor Who crossover. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Moffat referred to himself as a courtesan and said he was willing to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go. You got it. No, um, I, I just looked up Game of Thrones was actually finished with season two by the time this aired. Okay, so Winter is Coming had already entered the popular culture, yep. and so yeah, that must be the, uh, the reference. Speaking of the mashup between the Doctor Who and uh, it, Sherlock, I have a great T-shirt. It, at the end of one of the seasons of of Sherlock, uh, he falls off a building. I forget which famous story they base it on. Um, oh, that's based on the Reichenbach Falls, right? right or right. I'm sorry, the story is called the Final Problem, right? And he um. He falls off a building and it, and apparently dies, but then we find out he didn't. And it was like, and there was a fan speculation. How did he do it? And so I have a great T-shirt that shows him falling off the building, the TARDIS materializing to catch him with the Eleventh uh, Doctor, and then dropping off at the bottom uh, like a second later. So it was, uh, uh, it was, it's a great shirt. And I was, always hoped that we would have a a Doctor Who Sherlock crossover, which would have been awesome. But. Well, and they and and they, you know Moffat was open to doing it with with Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah, and everything. But since I don't have a Secrets of Sherlock Holmes podcast at this moment, <laughs> allow me to talk about the final problem, okay, for just a minute, because this was meant to be the last Sherlock Holmes story. Conan Doyle had a lot of other interests besides Sherlock Holmes. He didn't want to do Sherlock Holmes at a certain point anymore, even though it was his most popular creation. So he decided to kill off the great detective. And he wrote this story called The Final Problem, in which he kills off Sherlock Holmes. Except there's no body, so when pressure (laughs) came to have more Sherlock Holmes stories, he first did a time slip, and he wrote the, the next Sherlock Holmes story after this was the novel uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles, which is set before Sherlock's death. So he found a time slip where I go back in time before the final problem would let me write more stories. 
And then he decided he didn't want to do that, so he just brought him back from the dead. And, oh, it turned out Sherlock survived that fall from the cliff with Mm. the waterfall at the Reichenbach Falls. Okay. But I don't like the final problem. It's a terrible story. It's terribly (laughs) written. I mean, the individual sentences and paragraphs are all fine. It's not bad in that sense. It's not incompetently written. But on the structural level, it is terrible. Because what happens is this is the story that, I mean, in order to kill Sherlock Holmes, you need an opponent worthy of him. So we get Moriarty for the first time. Okay, this is the first appearance of Moriarty. And it turns out, because Conan Doyle wants to kill Sherlock in a short story, there is no time to build up Moriarty. So it turns out, unbeknownst to Sherlock's closest friend, Dr. Watson, Holmes has been secretly battling Moriarty for many, many years and not telling Watson about it. And Moriarty is like the greatest villain in London who's responsible for everything that's going on. He's the spider at the center of the web. And Holmes has never brought Watson in on any of this. But now Holmes has so arranged it that he's constructed a a criminal case against Moriarty and his entire network that will bring the whole thing down in one stroke, provided that Moriarty doesn't catch him in the next few days. And he's got all these he's got all these legal proceedings in engaged to take down the lower members of the network, and Moriarty's going to be trapped himself. And we just have to go on the run to Europe for a few days to keep ourselves safe. And even if I die, it'll be okay because every everybody will get taken down in my absence. Mm-hmm. And and then Moriarty and Holmes kill each other at the Reichenbach Falls while Dr. Watson has been misled back to a hotel. And it's like, this is all tell and no show. Right, right. This is, we're not given any, how do these cases work? Who is involved? How is all this put together? We're just told all this stuff that, oh, there's this sudden, massively important guy we've never heard about before, and his whole network will come down in some mysterious way that is never revealed to us, as long as Holmes, whether or not Holmes is alive. And it's like, guys, this is not how fiction needs to be done. You've got an <laughs> awesome story here. Now tell it to me. Don't just summarize it. Right. I don't want the abstract of the story. I want to see it. Well, thanks for joining us for Secrets of Sherlock Holmes. Next there time we we're are. talking about... I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> no, we'll we'll actually, cut that out and do that as a new podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No, actually, it's, it is interesting uh, because they have... The Reichenbach Falls also is part of the uh, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movies where they put that in there as well, the, the death that isn't a death and that sort of thing. So it, it, it is fascinating. All right, so we were we talking about the, the Doctor has become Scrooge-like. They decided to. It's interesting how with the last Christmas special it was Christmas. No, the two Christmas specials ago, it was a Christmas Carol, and mm-hmm. he was trying which to, which was awesome, which yep. is the best one, and that um, had him helping a Scrooge-like person. Now he is Scrooge, at least in the beginning of this one. He, you know, these. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he doesn't even say it, but he practically says "Bah humbug" at one point. Yeah, <laughs> when Clara first runs into him. Um, He's decided that the universe is ungrateful and wants to live like a curmudgeon in 1899. I mean, that's Liv- living on a cloud. Tardis parked up on top of a cloud that he's frozen solid. Yes. That's actually one of my favorite scenes in this, of, of, mm-hmm. of this thing, is Clara f- climbing into the invisible, you know, the, into the cloud with, the, with the, the, the ladder up. And I mean, it's very fairy tale like. Mm-hmm. If you're going to. If it's gonna be a fairy tale, might as well embrace it. And yeah, I, I was like gonna say this is this is this is total fairy tale here, where which is common for Moffat, where Clara first climbs up a ladder, which then leads her to a staircase, which leads her to a cloud, which leads her to the magic blue box with the grumpy man living alone on top of the cloud. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And it's all fairy tale. It's great. I like later how she at one point says, How can we be getting this high up in the air so fast? And the doctor says the staircase is taller on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. that was good. Uh, she also has the 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 uh, when she goes inside for the first time and says it's smaller on the outside, and says that's yes. a new one. <laughs> yeah. that, and, and, and that is awesome how they set that up because 
when, on her first visit to the cloud, she walks around the TARDIS but doesn't go inside. And when she she knocks on the door, but when the doctor answers, she hides and leaves the cloud. Mm-hmm. But then when they're being chased by the ice governess, the doctor has moved the cloud so that they can get up off the roof of the house they're in and get up to the TARDIS theoretically to safety. And she 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 so she's already walked around the TARDIS once, so she knows how big it is on the outside. When she goes in and sees it, she's marveling at the size, and mm-hmm. the doctor says, go on, say it, most people do. And instead, she backs out of the TARDIS, runs all the way around it to have another look at the outside, and comes back in and says, it's smaller on the outside, which is <laughs> great. I love that. For the first time in, in, this his, in the history of Doctor Who, we have, an, we have, a, uh, we have that, and it's yep. one of only a few nice takes yeah. uh, uh, nice variations on it's bigger on the inside another mm-hmm. is where in the fourth doctor's time benton gets to go into the or maybe it's the third doctor's time benton gets to go into the tardis and and it's like well aren't you going to say it it's bigger on the inside and benton's like i thought that was obvious <laughs> <laughs> and also later on in the 12th doctor's time when bill comes into the tardis she thinks it's a lift Yes. So it's bigger than it's 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 not the same room at all. It's just it's a lift, right? <laughs> and, and of course, you have uh, the the first Doctor Twelfth Doctor special where the Twelfth Doctor gets to play it up. Yes. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, and also uh, the uh, in the Husbands of River song where the Twelfth Doctor comes in. Yes. And and River doesn't know he's the Doctor, so he gets to be the one. Oh, this is my time. And he starts <laughs> he starts totally babbling about how amazing yeah. it is that it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> yeah. That was actually one of my favorites cuz cuz he just goes off like he's like over dramatic and everything. It's really great. That's how it should be done. <laughs> <Yep. Yeah. laughs> so, uh one of the things that, like so we're talking about when when Clara falls off the cloud. This is that's the the moment when the uh the ice governors comes through and grabs her and they fall off the cloud and in some ways it mirrors what happens with amy this grab mm-hmm. from behind just as you think you're safe by mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. statue-like female enemy you know i mean because the ice governess looks a lot like a weeping angel frankly you know it's mm-hmm. very, very visually similar only no wings but yeah yeah and it's and i i wonder if it was an intentional callback to how he lost amy to to do it like this or to kind of drive it home <laughs> the doctor's pain i don't know it was it kind of fascinating. I, I, think, I, I don't know i i didn't get that but i mean i can't say that they didn't mm. mm-hmm. but uh i mean it's definitely I, I i i think it has to be there in order to have the mystery of the dying and reappearing girl right? yes she has to die some way and actually i thought this was a fairly clumsy way of doing it Mm-hmm. Um, because she she's up there, she's rejoicing with the doctor, and actually they subvert the companion joining moment because the doctor has just you know urged her to become a companion. She's kind of agreed. He's given her a TARDIS key right out of the blue. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, she's he's like remember this because this is the moment it all begins. <laughs> and no. Immediately, the governess grabs her and drags her off the cloud, and it's the moment it all ends. Yeah, right. And it's interesting because after like she falls from a, the height of a cloud, it doesn't go splat and actually lives for a while, which is fascinating uh, fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And he's convinced she will live despite her injuries because he has his time lord sense of who his new companion will be, and it will be Clara, but not this Clara. You know, he, he's confused. Like, wh- she can't be dying because uh, she's my yeah. new companion. Now, did she well, survive the fall or did she die? But then Strax was able to use some technology yeah. to revive yeah. her. Briefly. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah. But the doctor was still convinced that she would live. Although I didn't know it was a time. I, I didn't get that it was a Time Lord thing. I thought he was just like having faith against hmm. or having hope against whatever because yeah. Vastra calls him on and it's like, how do you know this? And he's like, well, I think the universe owes me one. Yeah, it's it's kind of a right. It's kind of a karma type thing of where everything the doctor's done, he's owed one. Of course, the universe laughs. Uh, right, right. Yeah, that's that's possible too. I guess. Yeah, I I guess I was picking up that he was had some sixth sense that the doctor has this extra sense of who his new companion will be all the time or something along that along those lines. 
By the uh, way, speaking of fairy tale, another mm-hmm. real fairy tale. Well, there's a, several fairy tale yeah. elements here. Like when after the doctor uses the memory worm to wipe a bunch of, and by the way, the doctor is totally capable of wiping people's memories himself. Yeah. But for some reason, mm-hmm. they're using a memory worm here. When he uses it to wipe Dr. Simeon's adult memories and the great intelligence takes him over, suddenly he has the ability to freeze things. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's wait, I thought your memories just went into him to replace, because yeah. you said now that his adult memories are gone, there's space for your mind. So right. your mind goes in there and suddenly he's got, he's like Iceman, he's got ice powers, which is kind of fairy tale. But then... Yeah. When the whole when Clara dies back at the ranch, the whole family is crying on Christmas Eve. It is so sad. Everything melts, and it's not just melted water. It's actually tears falling out of the sky. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, the well, magic for of fairy Christmas. tale reasons. Yes. When the doctor goes in and confronts Simeon, by the way, he he, and he the great intelligence rings a bell. So he does have kind a kind of remember, kind of remembers. Yeah. Although, and and I thought. That might be a little bit of a pun to the abominable snowmen because they were in the uh, the 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 uh, oh, and he took the monastery bell back to the monastery, the bell at the monastery. Mm-hmm. That that was so. I thought that might be a, a callback to that. I don't know. Uh, deep cut. I, I was a little annoyed that Cl- Clara crying saves the day. It just seems a little too pat, a little too. I don't know. Fairy tale. Well, it is. And there was no logic in it. it, really. it it's kind of. Okay, it's, I mean, that's not what I meant to say. It's kind of, normally I can accept Christmas fairy tale stuff at Christmas, Mm -hmm. but this is depressing fairy tale stuff (laughs) at Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. there. I saw a reference, and this might be a a cultural difference, that this story of the snowman is based on a children's book called The Snowman. That is quite popular, mm-hmm. so it's another literary basis for right. a Christmas special. Uh, that is about a sad snowman. So maybe oh. that's what it's about. I I was trying oh, to find out more about that. Maybe the doctor is this. Maybe the doctor is the snowman. Yeah, he could be. Yeah, it it it's yeah. I, maybe. I figured this. I just figured this was Frosty the Snowman turned dark. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that would be yeah, carnivorous snowmen. I said I'd feed I you. Mean, the doctor you what? Doctor to what? <laughs> doctor even had the hat to match. I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of the snowman, but it wasn't part of my childhood. Yeah, it was the same here. So uh, maybe uh, maybe that has some explanation for why it's a sad. Maybe Britain has a has a uh, you know a tradition of sad Christmas stories. <laughs> mm. you know, speaking of cultural differences, one thing that I didn't get is the Doctor. You know, Doctor Who can get political, and it's not as it's fairly overt in this age of Doctor Who, not as bad as in the Chibnall era, but Mm. it's fairly overt here. And so the Doctor references early on Victorian values. Mm. And then later, when he's in the final confrontation with Dr. Simeon, he's he's like talking about how the carnivorous memory, the telepathic carnivorous memory snow has met Victorian values, and that's produced all this horror that's going to destroy mm-hmm. mankind. And Simeon roars, "What's wrong with Victorian values?" And I don't know what they're talking about. Right. I mean, I and I, I and I read lots of Victorian literature. The and yeah, I know there's a stereotype of Victorians as being very prudish. Mm-hmm. You know, that's to most Americans if you talk about something. Vic, being Victorian or Victorian values, they're going to think sexually repressed. Right. right. But beyond that, it's like, okay, uh, what are we talking about here? I mean, we don't have any dark satanic mills in mm. this story. There's nothing about the Industrial Revolution here. What Victorian values are in play that lead to the creation of the great intelligence? Right. Is it just that people are more formal with each other than in the 21st century? Um, if so, then um, then this would have happened in a lot of other cultures because mm-hmm. honor-based cultures tend to be extremely formal. It's how they avoid right. conflict. If you have people's honor at stake and, they're, and they will fight over it, 
the way you avoid fighting over honor is not to damage anyone's honor, so you are extremely polite. That's why yeah. they say, that's why here in America, it has been said, Southerners will be unfailingly polite with you until they're mad enough to kill you. <laughs> and, yes. and so sometimes outsiders don't read the little signs that tell you there's a problem here and we need to back off. Right. Um, well, guess what? Okay, Oriental societies frequently are very formal. Lots of societies are very formal. This is not unique to Victoria to Victorian London and so or Vic, the Victorian era. So I don't know what values they're talking about I, that would that, yeah. that would lead to the creation of the great intelligence. I, I do wonder if you know you mentioned the Industrial Revolution. I do wonder if that does play a part in it because of course there is, you know, modern technology and electricity and things like that that it was the the technology of Earth had developed to the point where the industrial the great intelligence had could finally develop, and of course that was one of the considered the Victorian values of this development of the the modern industrial system within, especially within London in particular, mm. but within England as a whole, that it was becoming an it had it had become an industrial powerhouse, yeah. and one of the reasons why it could be the great British Empire it was at that time. Yeah. I was thinking like that there was a swipe at repressed emotions and that sort of stuff too. You know that that this was what uh, Doctor Simeon was all about. Was as a child he had no friends and was you know emotionally stunted and and, and, and that's somehow Victorian atypical. value. Yeah, and notice how atypical he is of Victorian values. They hang right. a lantern on it. This kid's a weirdo. Well, although the dad uh, in the family he is also you know somewhat emotionally distant and repressed from, you know, distant from his children and, and that sort of right. thing. Right. So, so we should mention him. He's Captain Latimer, and he is, I guess, a military officer retired from somewhere, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he's got these two kids, Francesca and Digby, and he's apparently a widower. And he had this former governess who drowned in the, in the, in it's, they call it a pond, but mm. it's like a, big water basin in front of his house and the last christmas she drowned in it it froze and it stayed frozen for a month so they didn't find her body for a long time which is why the ice magically has a ice crystal copy of her dna mm -hmm. because it's the magical memory water snow stuff <laughs> but captain latimer is like a lot of fathers in this period who are have enough money to have a governess for their children so he had this previous governess who is dead, and now he's hired Clara, who is pretending to be Miss Montague, um, and the kids love her. Um, and actually, so does Captain Latimer. He is really sweet on her, and yeah. and if if she hadn't died, and if she hadn't become a companion to the doctor, we would have had one of these governess becomes the new mistress of the household. Yep. plots because he's clearly angry captain latimer is clearly <laughs> interested in clara and wants to marry her there's, um there's a great line where he says you have if i may say a remarkable amount of wisdom in these matters for one so very pretty miss montague I, young i mean yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 when the doctor and clara and the kids are coming downstairs to flee from the ice governess the doctor is captain latimer is like who the H are you? And the doctor says, oh, I am the uh, gentleman friend of Clara here, yeah. and <laughs> we have just been upstairs uh, kissing. And, yeah. and then the, all this craziness happens about the ice governess, and Captain Latimer's response is, you have a gentleman friend? <laughs> yeah. his, first, his first concern. Wait, not that there are you know, carnivorous snowmen and an ice uh, governess, but uh, yes, that was, that was very good. So, uh, by the way, I quickly looked up the, the Snowman is a 1982 uh, animated ad adaptation that, that was aired on British television adaptation of a book in which a boy befriends a snowman who melts at the end and the boy is very sad. So it is a ah. sad Christmas story. Mm, and and okay. thus, this is a sad Christmas story. So that, I guess there's some sense there. Um, yeah. The other so, thing I, I liked mm -hmm. about this was another scene that was yeah. kind of interesting is. Typical Moffat clever dialogue was the Madame Vastra interrogating Clara in one words. D didn't mm -hmm. make logical any logical sense, but it was no. Like, it was kind of annoying in that respect, although it was also <laughs> interesting. 
Yes, where where Clara could only answer in one word because for truth, quote unquote, uh, it's yeah. like a truth uh, detector. And so the the one word that she passed on to the doctor that would get him interested was pond. Now Clara means the frozen po- the pond that froze with a yep. governess in it, but of course pond is Amy Pond to the doctor. And I thought that was a, a nice clever connection there. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of like that scene. It's it's interesting in that scene because they Vastra asks Clara a series of questions and she must give one word answers to them. And she manages to do that and some of the some of the questions it's not obvious. I mean they're not just yes or no. Mm. And it's not obvious what could Clara say that would make sense here. And there's a particularly nice moment in that where Vastra has been kind of backing Clara into a corner. Now, the reason she said that we're going to do this one-word response thing is because lies are made of multiple words. And if if you boil it down to just one word, you're going to get the truth, which is false. Yeah. (laughs) But it's the premise we're going with. So she's been backing Clara into a corner and then says, what do, you, what do you make of that? And she's been challenging Clara's perspective. And Clara's respo- one-word response is to, what do you make of that, is words. In other words, it's yeah. all a lie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, was, that was a clever moment. And then eventually we get Pond, which comes, which, and, and they heighten it because Jenny, uh, the maid or whatever, is like, what could you possibly say here? And and then we cut to the doctor being phoned, and it's like she gave the word pond, and the doctor mm-hmm. is instantly reengaged. Right, right. That as, was as he's wearing her uh, Amelia Pond's glasses, her reading glasses. Oh, that's yeah. true. Right, right, right. That's from the last time. Yeah, he saw her. Yeah, there, there was one answer in there I didn't understand. Like, kindly choose a word to indicate your understanding of this. And Clara says, "Man," and I'm not sure what. What that? I didn't get the Yeah, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> so, so I, I, it was an interesting, clever bit of back and forth. Very, very Moffaty in in the in the way it was written. But uh, but like a lot of Moffaty things, there's stuff that doesn't quite work. But he he can't fault a guy for not like taking a risk. He's trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then that that is definitely there. Uh, anything else to say about this episode? Any last notes, Father Corey? You know, one thing I will say, you know, we mentioned briefly that, you know, we see the new TARDIS interior. This is the, the revamped TARDIS interior we see throughout the rest of uh, Matt Smith's era. And then through Peter Capaldi's, it gets a little bit of a, more of a facelift. And, you know, we, we've, Jimmy and I both have kind of said we're not really the biggest fans of the new mm-hmm. TARDIS interiors. Uh, add me to uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. But, but of course, it's, we, especially we, the ninth and the thirteenth, those organic-y yeah. coral and crystal things just don't work for me. But I, yeah. I, I will say that this interior, especially the the Peter Capaldi version of it, is probably my favorite of the new Who. I mm-hmm. still prefer the the classic Who interiors, uh, but the the of the new Who, this is probably my favorite. So I was glad to see it yeah. finally yeah. come back or to, come to out. My, and I agree. To my mind, Dr. Ruth has the best TARDIS interior. Yes. It's was, a modern version of the classic. I was about yes. to say that. Yeah, I would agree. It would be, I would love to see that come back uh, in the future uh, under some new showrunner. That would be an interesting addition. Which fortunately we'll have before Yes. Long. Yes. yes. Soon. Uh, so, Jimmy, do you have any last notes? Yeah, um, so I found it interesting. We have a good bit of role reversal with Clara and the Doctor here, uh, where she, so she's clear, even though Captain Latimer is sweet on her, she is sweet on the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And she flirts with him, and she takes the initiative and kisses him. Yeah. Uh, which I think is the first time a companion has done that. I mean, not kiss the Doctor, but take the initiative to to be the one that to, seems right. to do it. Yeah. And then, because like the eighth doctor kissed Grace, but Grace didn't take the initiative there. Mm-hmm. But then we have other role reversal, which they even point out as they're fleeing the ice governess. The Clara takes the doctor's hand and is dragging him along to safety, and he's like, "Wait, I'm the one who does this, <laughs> right?" <laughs> and so we already have the intimations of what will be Clara's downfall of her assuming the role of the doctor. Right, because it's the fact she tries to become the doctor too much to take on his role too much that ends up leading to her downfall in the end. So I thought that was interesting. 
My one of my favorite bits of comedy in this is early on they establish when they introduce the memory worm. <laughs> the doctor is the doctor is going to use it to mm. blank Clara's memory of the last hour. Turns out if you touch the memory worm, you lose an hour of memory. If it bites you, you can lose decades. Yes. So the doctor has Clara in a coach and, and tells Strax to go get the memory worm. And Strax comes right back and, and, and the doctor's like, okay, what is it? And he's like, what? <laughs> he's, he's clearly just touched the memory worm and has <laughs> lost an hour of his time. So he doesn't know why he, why he left. And, and this, and this happens, uh, they play, a th- they riff on this like three different ways with Strax, Strax and the memory worm. And I just found it really funny. The best part of that was when he's under the carriage trying to get the, the worm out from the undercarriage of the undercarriage yeah. of the carriage. And, and he's, he's, for, like, he's forgotten the gauntlet, so he, yep. yeah. he touches it again. He, he, and it's yeah, like, and the, <laughs> sir, I think I've been run over by a cab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was laugh out loud funny. That was a good one. I really enjoy Strax. The, the, the doctor and Strax in this were fantastic. I mean, they just went they're against each other. Vastra said, I need to bring some grenades. <laughs> I think she really meant help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would love yeah. to have a big finished adventure with Strax and the doctor. That would be fun. Well, there are Paternoster Row big finish adventures. Yeah. And they also tie in because in this same period, I don't think we've watched it as a group, Don, but there's a fourth Doctor adventure called The Talons of Wang Chiang. Not yet. And it introduces a couple of figures from this period, Jago and Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. One of them is a showman. He owns a theater. The other is a professor. Ah. And they have a series of Jago and Lightfoot adventures, too, with the original actors. And I know they have, like, a Jago Lightfoot Strax team-up. Oh, nice. cool. Strax is clearly the breakout character of, <laughs> yeah. of, of the Paternoster gang. <laughs> yes, I mean, he is. in taken individually, I you know, all three of them are okay. I don't like what they do with Vastra and Jenny a lot. I find it mm-hmm. annoying. Yeah. yeah. Individually, as characters, they're fine. If you took out that one element, this would team would work for me much better than it does. But Strax is clearly the breakout character. He's a lot of fun. Yes, he is. All right. I think we should wrap things up there. Uh, and I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who. And, uh, this, their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of this 11th Doctor Christmas special called The Snowmen? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first Doctor story, The Crusade. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, do not attempt to escape or you will be obliterated. May I take your coat? Right. This is going to be fun.